Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya, Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya, Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Agyanatamarandasya Gyananjana Shalakaya, Chakshur Unmilitam Yena, Tasmai Shri Gurave Namaha. So welcome, welcome to Srimad Bhagavatam class. And we are, oh, I have to open up uh, the database. We are uh, studying Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 6, Chapter 4. And we are beginning with text 13, and we're going to talk about text 14. So let me just, verse 13. And soon we'll be, um, we're hearing the tail end of uh, the Prachetas uh, calming down, hopefully after being very upset when they uh, came out of meditation and saw the planet of the trees, so to speak. And then we'll be studying the Hansaguya, the prayers at Daksha. He didn't compose them. He's reciting them. They were composed prior to him reciting them. And we're on text 13. The Supreme Personality of God, it is situated as a super soul within the cores of the hearts of all living entities, whether moving or non-moving, including men, including men, birds, animals, trees, and indeed all living entities. Therefore, you should consider every body a residence or temple of the Lord. By such vision, you will satisfy the Lord. You should not angrily kill these living entities in the form of trees. One who inquires, text 14, into self-realization and thus subdues his powerful angry anger, which awakens suddenly in the body as if falling from the sky, transcends the influence of the modes of material nature. And Srila Prabhupada writes at the beginning of the purport that when one becomes angry, he forgets himself and his situation. But if one is able to consider his situation by knowledge, one transcends the influence of the modes of material nature. You ever had that experience? Have you ever been so angry that you almost forget your surroundings? Um, it, it, it can happen. Anger is a uh, mode of ignorance is a very, very powerful um, force in this world. One is always a servant of lusty desires, anger, greed, illusion, envy, and so forth. But if one obtains sufficient strength and spiritual advancement, one can control them. One who obtains such control is always uh, will always be transcendentally situated, untouched by the modes of material nature. This is only possible when one fully engages in the service of the Lord. So the only way to give up these different unwanted activities and desires in our heart is to be fully engaged in Krishna's service. Okay, so we, we can go on to 15. There is, so this is, I thought this was interesting, even though there's no purport. Um, there is no need to burn these poor trees any longer. Let whatever trees still remain be happy. Indeed, you should also be happy. And here is a beautiful, well-qualified girl named Marisa who was raised by the trees as their daughter. You may accept this beautiful girl as your wife. So um, I was thinking about this, that when, we, when, when anger is there or when conflicts are there, we somehow or other find a way 
to overcome that. Now, obviously, in this day and age, we're generally not going to do that by, you know, offering somebody somebody's hand in marriage. <laughs> um, but when you think about it, if you even think of uh, European history in particular, right, lots of times marriages were arranged for uh, political reasons, right? I mean, there's tons and tons of such such uh, examples in, in the history. Uh, and, and even there's even people who write books that, and I'm not saying I, you know, adhere to this or don't adhere to this, but people who write books that saying the idea of marriage being based on love is a relatively recent uh, phenomena and that it was often more based on uh, finances or in, in people in, in more influential situations um, uh, based on political considerations, etc. But regardless of that, the idea, and that's not the main point I was thinking of making here, is that somehow or other you find, we find ways to pacify one another. In the seventh canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam, there's this verse that says, after some time, the teachers of Sanda and Amarka thought that Prahlad Maharaj was sufficiently educated in the diplomatic affairs of, of and here's what they learned, pacifying public leaders, which is kind of what's being done here, appeasing them by giving them a lucrative position, post, which is not exactly what happened here, but appeasing them by giving them a wonderful wife, uh, dividing and ruling over them and punishing them in cases of disobedience. Then one day, after Prahlad Maharaj, Prahlad's mother had personally washed the boy and dressed him nicely with sufficient ornaments. They presented him to his father. Now, we also know that what we just heard that he studied in, in, in the school uh, was not very Krishna conscious. These are um, what, what he was taught by, you know, people who were um, not leading a Krishna conscious school, but more of a, you know, a school for the Hiranyakashipus of the world. So the highest is not pacifying by giving someone a lucrative position or, um, right, but actually having a good empathic conversation and trying to understand each other better and seeing if one can reach agreement based on both wanting to please, ultimately both wanting to please Krishna. <clears throat> and so another example in that regards is uh, when Indra and Prithu were angry at each other. And here's the purport Prabhupada writes that both King Indra and Maharaj Prithu were envious and angry with each other. But since both of them were Vaishnavas or servants of Lord Vishnu, it was their duty to adjust the cause of their envy. This is also a first-class example of cooperative behavior between Vaishnavas. In the present days, however, because people are not Vaishnavas, they fight perpetually among one another and are vanquished without finishing the mission of human life. There is a great need to propagate the Krishna conscious movement in the world so that even though people sometimes become angry and malicious towards one another, because of their being Krishna conscious, such rivalry, com competition, and envy can be adjusted without difficulty. So as much as possible, we should find ways to adjust things in our life when, when there's a uh, conflict. Because conflicts and arguments and disagreements, they, as Prabhupada very nicely says here, they, they distract us from 
the purpose of life. And you, we can get very caught up in the minutia, in the details of a uh, conflicted situation, uh, of a conflict. And, and it sometimes brings out the worst in us, not the best in us. And so generally it's a good idea um, to nip these uh, conflicts and disagreements in the bud before they become bigger. Yes. Uh, and there's a question from Jay, but first, any other? Uh, well, first, Jay asked the question. Did, oh, did we find out? No, I'd, actually, Jay, I didn't. If it was, I didn't find out if there's any further explanation outside of the fact that they were the Prachetas were uh, rulers, and you know, you can't cultivate the land if the trees are everywhere. Right, they have to be cleared. Some questions, comments on this point um, about pacifying and dealing with conflicts? Well, I can give a point. Not yes, a, please, Andy. Not a good question. <laughs> well, I recently had a conflict in my life, one that wouldn't show that much, but it was something I had to worry about. Mm. And I was very worried about it. It was like a choice between two bad choices, right? Right. And so I started to meditate on it. And it, and uh, the answer I got was that I should apply to whichever choice gave me the most time for Krishna consciousness. Uh -huh. I chose that. And everything fell into place after that. It was just amazing. It happened yesterday, actually. That's amazing. Yeah. And uh, that's it. So faced with two bad choices, I said, which one would give me more time to do chanting, whatever? And that's the one I chose, and it worked. Wow. I'm going to have to know. try that one. Yeah. <laughs> no, seriously, that's, that, that yeah. sounds uh, yeah. really uh, yeah. really wonderful. So it worked. <laughs> and now your, your anxiety level is less? Zero. Everything worked out great. Okay. So it's actually over-worrying. Yeah, well, we do that, don't do. we? Yeah. Yes. Especially yes. in Kali Yuga. Manda Simanda Matayo Manda Bhagya Upad Tritaha. Maybe someone could put that. First in the, uh, what is it, 1110 or one, um, that, you know, we are, um, our, one, the last point, Opa, that we're, our minds are all, always disturbed. Yeah. So don't trust your mind. Whatever happens, do not trust your mind. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. And, uh, Suganda has put this beautiful, uh, Point in the purport, everyone should be friendly in the service of the Lord. Everyone should praise another's service to the Lord and not be proud of his own service. This is the way of Vaishnava thinking, Vaikunta thinking. There may be, oops, uh, there may be uh, rivals, rivalries and apparent competition between servants and performing service, but in the Vaikunta planets, the service of another servant is appreciated, not condemned. This is Vaikunta competition. And then there's the verse, um, a learned one in this age of Kali, men have but short lives. They are quarrelsome, lazy, misguided, unlucky, and above all, always disturbed. Above all. <laughs> ah, that's, is that true or not? Anyone ever had that experience? Many times, Yes, I saw a hand up. Yes, I was going to say, um, I didn't know that it was disturbance, but having experienced some challenges with my health 
It is a little bit, a little bit disturbed. Not a lot though. It's it's disturbing thinking about your health or just dealing with it or? Oh no, what you were saying about um, conflict and mm. giving into them and all of the small details. And, right. Um, being really outward instead of inward a little bit also. That's a, that's another point and that fits, yeah. It can cause disturbance, it can cause more disturbance in your mind. Mm. Thank you for that, yes. Mm -hmm. Reverend Anand, you were saying something? I was saying like all, always many times whatever is uh, mentioned in this verse, I, I have experienced that. You've experienced it. And short-lived, uh, you know, everything's relative, right? Yep. So certainly relative to the Prachetas, we definitely have a very short life because <laughs> they were meditating for a lot longer than our lifespan. And then uh, short-lived, yeah, unlucky. Yeah, but, I, but that's amazing how Prophet words it. And above all, always disturbed. Okay, shall we go on then? Um, we're going up to verse 23. Sukadeva Goswami continued, My dear king, after thus pacifying the Prachetas, Soma, the king of the moon, gave them the beautiful girl born of uh, uh, Pralo uh, Pralomcha, Pralo Pramlocha Apsara. The Prachetas all received... Pramlocha's daughter, who had high, very beautiful hips, and married her according to the religious system. In the womb of that girl, the Prachetas all begot a son named Taksha, who filled the three worlds with living entities. Now there's a bit of a, a change of topic. <laughs> Sukadeva Goswami continued, Please hear from me with great devotion how Prajapati Daksha, who was very affectionate to his daughters, created different types of living entities through his semen and through his mind. With his mind, Prajapati Daksha first created all kinds of demigods, demons, human beings, birds, beasts, aquatics, and so on. But when Prajapati Daksha saw that he was not properly generating all kinds of living entities, he approached a mountain near the Vindhya mountain range, and there he executed very difficult austerities. Near that mountain, excuse me, was a very high, a very holy place named Aga Marshana. There, Prajapati Daksha executed ritualistic ceremonies and satisfied the personality of Godhead, Hari, by engaging in great austerities to please him. My dear king, I shall fully explain to you the Hangsa Guya prayers, which were offered to the Supreme Personality of Godhead by Daksha, and I shall explain how the Lord was pleased with him for those prayers. And I think what's, what's what, one indirectly a lesson to be learned here before we go on to these beautiful prayers is because it says here that the Lord was pleased with him. So what is that? What is there's a saying something like no fault is fatal or something like that. You know, it, we get, we get more chances, right? If we had just stopped at the fourth canto and heard all the, problems that Daksha created in, in multi-ways. He was like, oh man, that person's just finished, right? But here we're seeing that he's he's no ordinary person. In his next life, he becomes, um, just as, we, as we're hearing here, 
he's born in that way. And now he's offering these beautiful prayers to Lord Vishnu and the Lord is pleased with him. So, you know, uh, Krishna gives us, so we can also derive from that uh, hope, right? That Krishna gives us hope. That, I mean, that this, realizing this about Daksha can give us hope that uh, even if we make some mistakes, Krishna can, uh, can forgive us. And, and we have a future in Krishna consciousness. <laughs> okay, so text 23. Okay, so this is the beginning of 14 verses, is it? Of prayers. No, 12, I believe it is. 12 verses of the Hunksaguya prayers. And they're very rich. They're very philosophical. And so we'll take our time and go through them. Prajapati Daksha said, The Supreme Personality of Godhead is transcendental to the illusory energy and the physical categories it produces. He possesses the potency of unfailing knowledge and supreme willpower. And he is the controller of the living entities and the illusory energy. The conditioned souls who have accepted this material manifestation as everything can, cannot see him. For he is above the evidence of exper- experimental knowledge. Self-evident and self-sufficient, he is not caused by any superior cause. Let me offer my respectful obeisances unto him. Hmm. The conditioned souls who have accepted this material manifestation as everything cannot see him. For he is above the evidence of experimental knowledge. Prabhupada writes right at the beginning of the purport, the transcendental position of the Supreme Personality of God, it is explained here with, he is not perceivable by the conditioned souls who are accustomed to material vision and cannot understand that the Supreme Personality of God exists in his abode, which is beyond that vision. Even a materialistic person could count all the atoms in the universe. No, even if a materialistic person could count all the atoms in the universe, he would still be unable to understand the Supreme Personality of God. And then at the very end of the purport, if the absolute truth is beyond measurement, one may ask, how can one realize him? The answer is given here by the word Swayambhuve. One may understand him or not, but nevertheless, he is existing in his own spiritual potency. So there's a lot to digest here. Um, in the 10th canto, in the 14th chapter, verse number 7, Lord Brahma says a prayer pretty similar to this. It's, it reads, In time, learned philosophers or scientists might be able to count all the atoms of the earth, the particles of snow, or perhaps even the shining molecules radiating from the sun, the stars and other luminaries. But among these learned men who could possibly count the unlimited trans, who could possibly count the unlimited transcendental qualities possessed by you, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, who have descended on, onto the surface of the earth for the benefit of all living entities. So I think it's clear, isn't it? That <laughs> we can only understand Krishna and only know him, of course, through Shastra, but, but ultimately by his mercy, by his helping us. And Prabhupada was often, you know, very, um, 
he had strong opinions about people who declared themselves to be God, and he wouldn't mince words. One time in Hong Kong, when there was a person who was a self-proclaimed incarnation, uh, and there was a newspaper article about him having to be gone to the hospital to deal with a really terrible toothache, and Prabhupada said, the rascal has gone to the hospital due to a toothache, and he never thinks, how is it that God must go to the hospital for a toothache? <laughs> so he wasn't impressed with people who claimed to be God, to say the least. So some thoughts on this point. It's, it's a deep, it's, 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 it's actually an inspiring point for me. I find it inspiring that we can't, you know, you, you, could you imagine trying to forget about, let's say even forget about the, all the atoms in the, uh, in the universe. Sometimes also try to count all the grains of sand on all the beaches. Could you imagine trying to do that? That's easier than the task that's mentioned in this verse. But could you imagine what it would take to count all the grains of sand? And then if that's so hard and it's harder to understand Krishna. And therefore, Vedeshu Durlabham that it's very difficult to understand Krishna, but it becomes easy if we become his devotee. So, what do you think about that point? Who's up for counting sand? Uh, it's not about counting sand, Prabhu, but uh, um, consistently the message is there in Bhagavad Gita. Krishna explains about his nature and in Bhagavatam also, that he is transcendental, above and beyond the modes of material nature and is not influenced by the material nature at any time, at any moment. Uh, yet people, and the answer is also given here, that people st still have misconceptions about the position of God. And that comes by from identifying oneself too much with the material uh, energy of the Supreme Lord so that they are not able to see the Supreme Lord in his original position even when he was directly present yes. performing pastimes. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, a, that's an amazing thing to think about, isn't it? That someone could be face-to-face -face with Krishna and still... <laughs> And uh, Suganda has put a quote from the Kutta Upanishad. Thank you. Um, yeah, it's, it's... And yet you can drive to Potomac and see him. <laughs> can I just say something since you asked? No, I'm sorry. No, Andy. No. All right. <laughs> oh, I changed my mind. Go ahead. <laughs> about counting sand? Yes. Uh, sand is made of silicon. And which is the second most abundant material on this planet. Uh-huh. What's the first? Oxygen. Okay. Which is very nice. Good to have oxygen. Yeah, it helps. But uh, scientists actually tried to estimate how many grains of sand there are. Uh-huh. You, you say, why would someone want to do that? Well, they at least tried to estimate. So they did make an estimate. So it just shows you how their thinking goes. Yeah. yeah. Along the same lines, but coming from the wrong direction. Well, yeah. it's almost impossible to count sand. So let's try to count it. <laughs> yeah, right. Made an estimate. It is hard to do it because, especially like you know, do you, do you consider the 
parts when the when the tide is in and the tide is out, you know. And oh, they have to work on that. Yeah, so that's what yeah. they're working on. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I guess you could, you know, if you had a cubic foot of sand, and then you just find out how many cubic feet of sand there is all over the world, you can just multiply it by that or something. Yeah. But <laughs> but 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 if you were, if, but if we're talking about like one, two, three. <laughs> Yeah, that would be, yeah, that would be really hard. <laughs> yeah. Other thoughts on this? Well, let's carry on because these prayers are quite amazing. We are going up to, oh, just the next one, verse uh, 24. So listen to this one carefully. Give me a second. As the sense objects, form, taste, touch, smell, and sound, cannot understand how the senses perceive them, right? Like if you're, if you're listening to uh, jazz music or, you know, the, the jazz music is, a, is an, uh, it, it can't understand how your ear is hearing it, right? So the conditioned soul, although residing in his body, along with the super soul, cannot understand how the supreme spiritual person, the master of the material creation, directs his senses. Let me offer my respectful obeisances unto that supreme person who is the supreme controller. And starting in the third sentence, Prabhupada writes, although the living individual living being who is compared to the bird that is eating is sitting with his friend, the Supreme Soul. The individual living being cannot see him. Actually, the Super Soul is directing the working, the workings of one's senses in the enjoyment of sense objects. But as these sense objects cannot see the senses, the conditioned soul cannot see the directing soul. Another example given, this is a few sentences down, is that Although ordinary citizens work under the direction of the government, they cannot understand how they are being governed or what the government is. So, so in other words, like a piece of wood cannot is they it cannot understand the sense of touch that we may use to perceive it. Right? It's an inanimate object. So similarly, the us as embodied souls, we, we can't understand Krishna despite his proximity. He's right there in the heart, right? And the control the Lord has over our senses. So this is true because the controlled lacks the power to understand their controller. It's quite an interesting analogy, isn't it? Now, we might go to the next verse and then talk about these together. So text 25 takes us a little further. Because they are only matter, the body, the life airs, the external and internal senses, the five gross elements, the subtle sense objects cannot, under, cannot know their own nature, the nature of the other senses or the nature of their controllers. But... And so that's kind of like almost like a summary of the last verse. But the living being, because of his spiritual nature, can know his body, the life airs, the senses, the elements, and the sense objects. And he can also know the three qualities that form their roots. 
But nevertheless, although the living being is completely aware of them, he is unable, unable to see the supreme being who is omniscient and unlimited. I therefore offer my respectful obeisances unto him. So, so the point is that one could argue that, yes, okay, sense objects, that's obvious. They don't have consciousness. Therefore, they, they can't perceive um, the, the person who's observing them or enjoying them or whatever. Right? So now, uh, so, so the above, so the example in 24 could be rejected for that reason. Right, because it's not a it's not a fair comparison of uh, a, a unconscious, you know, the awareness of an unconscious object with a conscious one. So the Hamsaguya prayers is taking a uh, second assertion, right, by saying that even the sentient being like us, who can see so many things in this world, uh is enabled to know the super soul despite the super soul being so near and dear. And it's kind of like um, there was a prayer by the personified Vedas in uh, the 10th canto, 87th chapter, verse 42, which uh, again says the, the our as a soul, our inability to know the unlimited. Because you are unlimited, neither the lords of heaven nor even you yourself can ever reach the end of your glories. The countless universes, each enveloped in its shell, are compelled by the wheel of time to wander within you, like particles of dust blowing about in the sky. The Shrutis, the Vedic literature, following their method of eliminating everything separate from the Supreme, become successful by revealing you as their final conclusion. So, a little philosophical, but um, it, well, well, so what? any thoughts on these two verses about knowing the Lord and um, how difficult it is, in one sense, to know him? Um, uh, hi, Krishna Prabhu. Yes. Please accept my Go ahead, Shakti. Uh, when I read this, um, it was completely out of my mind where why it is so complicated that you understand the Lord and even these, uh, you know, Mahajans, like even in the previous chapter, um, uh, uh, the, um, <laughs> Dharma, I keep getting Dharmaraj. Actually, it's not Dharmaraj. Uh, uh, Yamaraj? Um, Yamaraj. Yeah. Yamaraj also uh, mentions a similar context that nobody can understand. Even Brahma cannot understand. And, uh, and like, like I was thinking in that direction and I, I came to realization that like, why it's so complicated, just, you know, hold on to the Lotus feet of Prabhupada. And he guarantees that like, he can take you to the Supreme Personality of Godhead. You know, it's coming from the same direction. He basically understands. And even though the Mahajan says they, they cannot understand, it's difficult, but like, you know, our spiritual master says they, they, he understands and he can take back to the Godhead. So that consoled my heart and I just want to share my relationship. Thank you. Yes, because again, Vedeshu Durlabam, Adurlabam Atmabhakto. It becomes easy with Bhakti and especially by serving devotees, Mahatsevam, Dwaram Ahur Vimuktes, that the 
gate to the spiritual world opens up for those who serve Krishna's devotees. Thank you for that, Shakshi Gopal. Other thoughts on these two verses? <laughs> uh, Go ahead, Andy. Yeah, this is like a whole philosophy that you could spend a whole year on. Mm. Uh, but it's it's unclear to me whether the con the consciousness we're talking about how entangled it is with with the material world to begin with, because everything has an analog in the spiritual world. An analog? What do you mean by analog? I'm not sure. Well, for instance, Krishna has arms, has legs. Oh, okay, got has, it. Okay, but yeah. we have no idea what they're really like. We have our material representation, right? But even consciousness in the spiritual spiritual world may be quite a bit different. So it's <laughs> now they say you reach a transcendental level and. People like Prabhupada have reached it, but still. Uh, but we do if... get, yes. Luckily, I think you would agree we get some glimpses of it. Yeah, at most, I think, at most. Yeah, but that, that glimpse can keep you going for a whole lifetime. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. that's all, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you for that. And uh, Suganda is saying that we can see through the eyes of Shastra. Yes, and... Uh, and even then, Shastra becomes clear to us to, in, depending on how we approach and how we read with bhakti. Yes. So I just feel like it's a waste of time to expect some kind of great uh, realization. I think you just have to work with whatever comes your way. And I, I like that. Yeah. Um, that's a that's a really interesting question, Andy. What do we expect? We in um, in the in the nectar devotion, maybe Suganda can put this up there. There's something uh, I think it's the tenth chapter called Asha Bandhu, and, and that is uh, expecting the Lord's mercy. Well, also uh, there's a, there's something called expecting the Lord's mercy, and then I think Asha Bandhu is hoping against hope, <laughs> but it's I mean, I think I, I, what you just said, Andy, I think can be very devotional, can be like, Krishna, you can do with me what you want. You can give me great realizations. You can give me, eh, you know, but I'm going to serve you and, and try to love you regardless. So I think it can bring out that kind of bhakti in us. Conversely, or not conversely, but additionally, um, Krishna does, if you uh, in the second chapter, verse 59 of the Gita, talk about the higher taste and that we should be seeking the higher taste so that the, the taste in this material world pale in comparison and, and that we also have the, um, the faith that there are these higher levels of consciousness and we can achieve them not by our own spiritual muscles, but by Krishna's mercy. And, and that Krishna is so powerful, he can even give us pure love if he, if he chooses to. He can give it to anyone he wants. So it's that, I think it's a very interesting balance that you're kind of bringing up, Andy. Does that make sense, what I just said to you? Yeah. Like the gopis were illiterate, so they couldn't tell you anything or preach, but, but they had it. So They got it. They, yeah. They're the most exalted. I don't know if they're illiterate, but they were simple. I mean, that's the way Prabhupada would explain, to, would describe them as simple I, village girls. But they were, they would speak in Sanskrit. So 
Oh, they <laughs> I mean, did? Yeah, I mean, so, you know, yes. So. Is that supposed to be like a transcription of what they were saying? Well, we have some... Uh, um, we have some of their words in Bhagavatam and elsewhere, and uh, especially in the Goswami literature. Yeah, but but they were. The, but the point being that that wasn't their focus, <laughs> scholarship. Their focus was in loving Krishna, and therefore they understood far more than any scholar. Yeah. And uh, Raghunandan Prabhu has put the famous, the famous last verse of the Shikshastikam that, you know, Krishna, you can do with me whatever you want. I'm your servant, Bas. And Suganda has put that Asha Bandha. I said Bandhu, Bandha, Bandha. Um, expecting the Lord's mercy. Yeah. Hmm. Really good points. Anything else on this topic? Uh, Prabhu, just uh, just a thought about uh, the twenty fourth verse. Uh, the material, the master of the material creation, directs his senses. Uh, so, what he is referring has his senses. The supreme personality, Godhead, senses here. Do you have any thoughts mm. on that? Just one second. So, uh, I'm actually go, Prabhu. Please uh, repeat that again. You're talking about text twenty four, right? Hello. Sorry, Prabhu. So basically, here he is saying that uh, Supreme Personality Godhead directs his senses. So uh, is he referring to our senses that that uh, if we get purified, it becomes Supreme Lord senses, or that is different? That's the only clarity. As the sense objects, form, taste, touch, smell, and sound, cannot understand how the senses perceive them. So the conditioned soul, although residing in his body along with the super soul, cannot understand how the supreme spiritual person, the master of the material creation, directs his senses. Let me offer my respectful obeisances. Yes. Well, uh, and let's see the Sanskrit here. Where's direct senses? Namaskrami. My Mahat Ishaya, unto the supreme controller, Tamasai. Um, well, Objects of sense perception. We do know that Krishna, you know, Rishikena, Rishikesha, Sevanam Bhakti Uchate, that Krishna, one, one of his names is the controller of the senses. Now, whether, so we can say that, um, we have free will. And at the same time, once we choose Maya or Krishna, then Krishna gives us the, uh, you know, through either through his spiritual energy, or through his the material modes of material nature, we are we could say that our senses are uh, that he's controlling our senses because we I think we experience that sometimes our senses are out of control, right? And when they are in control and in service to Krishna, that's what we're trying to we're trying to engage our senses again in the controller of the senses. Uh, someone finds that verse: Rishi Kena, Rishi Kesha, Sevanam Bhakti Uchate. But we can't. But the, as we as we know from our study of Bhagavad Gita and other parts of the Bhagavatam, we can't blame Krishna. We say, well, you know, yeah, I went, I went to had, uh, you know, a uh, a pint of uh, whiskey last night. But you know, Krishna's controlling my senses, so it wasn't me. It's it's Krishna's fault, right? We, you know, Krishna. We 
the three modes of material, you know, we choose to be subjected to the three modes of material nature. And then once that's happened, uh, you know, Krishna maybe indirectly gives us that free will. But it's it's on us what we choose to do. And here it is. Sarvopadi vinirmuktam tatparatvena nirmalam rishikena rishikesha sevanam bhakti ruchate. Bhakti or devotional service means engaging all of our senses in the service of the Lord, the Supreme Personality of God, who is the master of the senses. So it's just like, you know, we're, if we're a servant in somebody's house and we choose like basically to ignore them and not serve them and, you know, uh, cook, you know, cook all the food and then eat it ourselves. Can you imagine like, you know, <laughs> uh, I think some of us have had that experience of living in India and, uh, you know, the servants are there and they're cooking. Could you imagine the servants just like decide, I'm not going to feed this to the mass. I'm just going to sit down at the table and eat it myself. <laughs> that's probably uh, not very good, but that's kind of what we do. It's kind of what we do when we're not uh, offering our food to, to Krishna, when we're not engaging our senses in his service. It's kind of what we're doing. Henry, you had your parents had some servants when you grew up. Did you could you imagine if they your parents like were hungry and they they come into the dining room and they see the they see the uh, the cook chowing down on on dinner? No, that would be they they would be appalled. My father was very particular about being kind to the people that worked for us. I remember he was always thinking about them and their comfort. And he would always remind me, don't make such a big mess. Don't make so many demands. Don't ask for these things. So he always taught me to be really thoughtful of them. Oh, nice. Nice. And what to speak of what Krishna is like when we engage in his service. But the thing is, what did you say your father would have been? What was it the word you used? A gas? Appalled. 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 But Krishna's not. He still lets us live in the material world um, and hope for the day that we actually, uh, that, that he lets, that we actually let him sit down for dinner first, <laughs> so to speak. Or Suganda puts this nicely from uh, the Shastra. It says that senses that are serving Krishna are like snakes that with poison fangs removed. Yeah, and, and, I, and in addition to that, because that, that imagery, which is from the Shastra, so totally bona fide, that imagery is um, it's kind of negating the negative part of the senses. Uh, and it's actually, you know, you could say the poison is removed and the snakes are doing some welfare work or something, you know, because it's, it's actually positive also. So thank you for that great question. Uh, some other thoughts on this point. Engaging the senses in Krishna's service. It is not. I yes. Have thought, I have a thought. I love that. Um, choosing the, the um, service over um, illusion. Mm. And or choosing, you know, bhakti over falling down all the time. I think it's awesome. Thank you. About the senses. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think we, we, I think we all know that it's, it's not easy to always use your senses in Krishna's service. It, it's, it's, uh, it's a challenge, isn't it? Yes, it is. To be on that level of spirituality. Yes, it's a challenge. Yeah, definitely. All right, then we can carry on. So we went back to 24. 
four, but we are doing 20. Okay, so 26 and then 27 and 28 we're going to talk about. Okay, so 26. When one's consciousness is completely purified of the contamination of material existence, gross and subtle, without being agitated as in the working and dreaming states, and when the mind is not dissolved uh, as in su supti, deep sleep, one comes to the platform of trance. Then one's material vision and the memories of the mind, which manifest names and forms, are vanquished. Only in such a trance is the Supreme Personality of God revealed. Thus, let us offer our respectful obeisances unto the Supreme Personality of God, who is seen in the uncontaminated transcendental state. And now this uh, two verses combined, 27 and 28. Just as great learned brahmanas who are expert in performing ritualistic ceremonies and sacrifices can extract the fire dormant within wood, wooden fuel by chanting the 15 um, Samid Dhani mantras, thus proving the efficacy of the Vedic mantras. So those who are actually advanced in consciousness, in other words, those who are Krishna conscious, can find the super soul who by his own pot spiritual potency is situated within the heart. The heart is covered by the three modes of material nature and the nine material elements, material nature, the total material energy, I guess that would be um, uh, Mahatakha, the ego, the mind, and the five objects of sense gratification, and also by the five material elements and the 10 senses. These 27 elements constitute the external energy of the Lord. Great yogis meditate upon the Lord, who is situated as a super soul, Paramatma, within the core of the heart. May that super soul be pleased with me. The super soul is realized when one is eager for liberation from the unlimited varieties of material life. One actually attains such liberation when he engages in the transcendental loving service of the Lord and realizes the Lord because of his attitude of service. The Lord may be addressed by various spiritual names, which are inconceivable to the material senses. When will that Supreme Personality of Godhead be pleased with me? So uh, I wanted to focus on this paragraph, which is after the verse Bhaktimam Abhijananti. Thus, although the subject matter is durvigyayam, extremely difficult to understand, which was a uh, point that Chakshi Gopalpur was making, it becomes easy if one follows the prescribed method. Coming in touch with the Supreme Personality of God, it is possible. Possible through pure devotional service, which begins with Shabhanam, Kirtanam, Vishnu. In this regard, Srila Vishnu of Chakravarti Thakur quotes a verse in the Srimad Bhagavatam. Pravishta karna randrena svanam pava saroh muham. The process of hearing and chanting enters the core of the heart, and in this way one becomes a pure devotee. So that's one point. But if we go through this purport, we see that, you know, there's amazing kind of progression of points that are being made. That uh, Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur in the beginning uses this word, which means very difficult to realize. The pure stage of existence is described, therefore, and then Prabhupada quotes this verse, that persons who have acted piously in previous lives and in this life 
whose sinful actions are completely uh, eradicated and who are freed from the duality of delusion engage themselves in my service with determination. So that makes it sound a little hard, right? And elsewhere, always chanting my glories, endeavoring with great determination, bowing down before me. Also, that's not easy. And then how many people achieve it? Also not easy. Out of many thousands among men, manusyanam sahasreshu, one may endeavor for perfection. And of those, one in a thousand, hardly one knows me in truth. So again, not so easy. But how do you do it easily? The next verse, bhakti amam abhitananti. You can do it through devotional service. It is possible. Hmm. So then, uh, continuing, Prabhupada then says this, be- you know, quotes this beautiful prayer. Hmm. Um, well, just so he's talking about hearing and chanting, and then he says, after all, the material impediments described in these verses are but various energies of the Lord. When a devotee is eager to see the supreme personality of God, he prays. I am your eternal servitor, yet somehow or other I have fallen into this ocean of birth and death. Please pick me up from this ocean of death and place me as one of the atoms at your lotus feet. So you see the, the progression here is that, and then, so here the devotee is saying, okay, I'm into this, I'm in this mess, but please save me, please save me, please pick me up. And at the end of the purport, Prabhupada writes here, the prayers say that the form of the Lord is beyond the jurisdiction of material form and is therefore inconceivable. A devotee prays, however, my dear Lord, be pleased with me so that I may very easily see your transcendental form and potency. Non-devotees try to understand the Supreme Brahman by discussions of neti neti, not, means not this, not that. Nisheta nirvana sukhanubhuti. A devotee, however, simply by chanting the holy name of the Lord, avoids such laborious speculations and realizes the existence of the Lord. And look at those last two words. Very easily. So, um, and this verse, Ayi Nanda Taniju Kinkaram, I know several of uh, senior devotees who really, really try to deeply meditate on that verse. They think it's one of the most important verses that they've ever memorized. I'm your eternal servant. I'm in this mess. Please pick me up and place me as one of the atoms at your lotus feet. So very powerful progression uh, in this uh Verse from, from, wow, it seems impossible to the very last words very easily. Prabhupada took us on this journey to that it is easy if we develop bhakti. So some thoughts on this. I just think the word understand just, it kind of bothers me every time it pops up. Because, okay, I don't understand. Why do you say that? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> because this is all translation. We're talking about ancient Sanskrit. That has to be translated. Right. And Prabhupada was not a native English speaker, although he came to speak it very well. But um, I wonder if they really want the word know instead of understand. How are you going to understand God? That doesn't seem possible to me. I mean, uh, I think they mean no, don't they? Well, maybe it, maybe it, and or or yeah, okay, that, I think that's a reasonable uh, synonym. 
And I also noticed that yeah, you're right. In English, words also can mean different. Just like um, some of my friends, I have a good friend, Russell Mandela Prabhu, who's a very well-educated British person. And he regularly reminds me that I do not speak English. I speak American. <laughs> and he's very, you know, he lives in Oxford and, you know, he's very, uh, what does he call it? The Queen's English, I think they call it there, right? Is that right, Henry? Yeah, or the King's English. Um, but so, you know, um, Prabhupada's English is actually quite remarkable. I mean, there's so, when I was, uh, especially a younger devotee, I had to keep a dictionary next to my, uh, next to me often when I was, you know, reading, uh, like, what, what does sublime mean, you know, <laughs> and, and things like that. But, but if, 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 uh, you, if it's easier for you to understand, sorry about that, by using the word no, I think that's fine. And and we also, <laughs> this is so funny now, I'm used to the, I'm getting uh, hung up on these words. We also know that there's different levels of understanding, <laughs> right? Uh, there's the different progressions. So I remember that song, you were, you're old enough to remember that song, Um to know, no, no, love, to know, no, no, you is yeah, to love, yeah. love, love you. Yeah. And I do. <laughs> so we know Christian, actually, that's very, it's a very well-written song, actually. You can, you know, because mm -hmm. to know, no, no, Krishna, you have to love, love, love him. And that's how you get to know him. And he, <laughs> and understanding, I'm not sure it's so bad because Krishna will say, it says in the Gita, Dadami Buddhi Yogam Tvam. I give the understanding, and what does he say? By which you can come to me. Okay, yeah, that that yes. yeah makes sense. Maybe uh, Suganda can put that in the quote. I give the understanding by which you can come to me. It's the but, uh, <clears throat> tenth, tenth chapter, verse eleven. Is it verse ten? Yeah, go ahead. I was even thinking yeah. about Ar Arjuna, right? Arjuna, who, if anybody was in a position to understand Krishna, he was in a pretty good position mm. for that. But then when Krishna showed him his universal form, he said, oh, man, okay, yeah, yeah but take that away, please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he didn't understand that very well, you know, that that was going to hit him. Right. Yeah. We can't ever understand Krishna fully, because even it says Krishna doesn't understand himself that fully, because every time he thinks he understands himself, he, his, his glories expand. So, I mean, if you, you know, I mean, that's obviously way beyond our. So here you see the quote in, you see the verse in the chat? To those who are constantly devoted to serving me with love, I give the understanding by which they can come to me. Yeah. So, yeah. But but thanks for bringing that up because it, it is, you know, we can't fully understand Krishna. We can't fully know Krishna. We can definitely know him enough that we'll be super, super, super satisfied and happy. Mm -hmm. yeah. But, uh, yeah. Thank you. Other points, other thoughts on this? It's such an interesting juxtaposition, isn't it, of how difficult it is and how easy it is. Hi, Krishna. Uh, this is Jay. Yes, I'm Jay. At that point where it says, an example is given in this connection is that extracting fire from wood is extremely difficult, but when fire comes out, it burns the wood to ashes. So it's just like, you know, a single spark can burn down the entire forest and uh, what I like about it is like, you know, if you come into contact with a single devotee, 
Uh, you know, you can burn all your, you know, material desires or all your like uh, impurities to actually, you know, come closer to Krishna. So I found that really fascinating. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One time Prabhupada said that, uh, what was it? The children of your children will be able to light fire by mantra. I don't know if that's happened yet, but <laughs> he was just talking about that, how, you know, hopefully as the generations go on, we'll have uh, more and more purified devotees in, in the world. Yeah, so I think, you know, with with all the so many gurukuls happening all over the world, like, you know, young, young children are now getting educated in Sanskrit and can actually recite mantras and stuff. So we're going in that direction, I think. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. Do you live in London itself? Jake? Just outside, just outside London. Oh, just outside. Uh, outside Watford. Oh, okay, that's where my son lives. Actually, in Bushy. I think that's called. It's yeah. same, same county. Uh huh. Got it. All right. So, shall we carry on? It's text twenty nine. We're doing. We're making good time today. Pretty good time. Okay. So we're continuing his prayers, and we're going up to thirty one. Anything expressed by material vibrations, anything ascertained by material intelligence, and anything experienced by the material senses or concocted within the material mind is but an effect of the modes of material nature and therefore has nothing to do with the real nature of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. The Supreme Lord is beyond the creation of this material world, for he is the source of the material qualities and creation. As a cause of all causes, he exists before the creation and after the creation, I wish to offer my respectful obeisances unto him. Text 30. The Supreme Brahman, Krishna, is the ultimate resting place and source of everything. Everything is done by him. Everything belongs to him and everything is offered to him. He is the ultimate objective. And whether acting or causing others to act, he is the ultimate doer. There are many causes, high and low. But since he is the cause of all causes, he is well known as the Supreme Brahman who existed before all activities. He is one without a second and has no other cause. I therefore offer my respects to him. Text 31. Let me offer uh, my respectful obeisances unto the all-pervading Supreme Personality of God, who possesses unlimited transcendental qualities, acting from within the cores of the hearts of all philosophers who propagate various views, He causes them to forget their own souls, while sometimes agreeing and sometimes disagreeing among themselves. Thus, he creates within this material world a situation in which they are unable to come to a conclusion. I offer my respectful obeisances unto him. This is a fascinating purport, because we're talking about all the different philosophies in the world, right? Since time immemorial, Prabhupada writes in the beginning, or since the creation of the cosmic manifestation, the conditioned souls have formed various parties of philosophical speculation. But this is not true of the devotees. Non-devotees have different ideas of creation, maintenance, and annihilation, and therefore they are called bodies and paribodies, proponents and counter-proponents. And then he says, it's understood from the statements of the Mahabharata that there are many munis or speculators. This is kind of a famous verse. All speculators must disagree with other speculators. Otherwise, why should there be so many opposing parties concerned with ascertaining the, the, the supreme cause? 
And then just a little later, devotees accept that the ultimate cause is Krishna, because this conclusion is supported by all Vedic literature and also by Krishna himself, who says, Aham Savasyapavava, I am the source of everything. Devotees have no problem understanding the ultimate cause of everything, but non-devotees must face many opposing elements because everyone who wants to be a prominent philosopher invents his own way. And then a little further down, after the verse that's quoted uh, from the 16th chapter, after that, Prabhupada writes, because of their envy of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, non-devotees are born in demoniac families life after life. They are the great, they are great offenders, and because of their offenses, the Supreme Lord keeps them always bewildered. Now at the very end of the purport, these speculators are envious of the existence of the Lord. Jagad Ahur Anishvaram. Their conclusion is that the entire cosmic manifestation is no controller, but is just working naturally. Thus they are kept in constant darkness, birth after birth, and cannot understand the real cause of all causes. This is the reason why, listen to this sentence, this is the reason why there are so many schools of philosophical speculation. Um, There are, uh, what is, let me see if I can just, I had this open before. Um, so if we go, you know, to Sriman Wikipedia, right, just as, as an example, I'll share my screen quickly. So this is, can you see the screen? This is just the A's, and uh, this isn't necessarily all the philosophies, obviously, right? But that's just the A's, and then there's the B's, and the C's, and the D's, and you see how many different, uh, philosophies there are. Look under P. Wow. Because it says philosophy of, philosophy of, philosophy of. Q. So, um, Prabhupada's not joking when he says that there's many different philosophies in this world. And they, he's saying here that they arise um, out of, we could say that there's different ways. Now, some of them have some aspect of the truth, by the way. But some of them, it's, 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 it's just different ways to avoid Krishna, ultimately, to avoid God. Um, I think I, I once gave the example of, uh, you know, if you ever, I, I can remember this, even though my son is 29 years old now, but I can remember trying to feed him sometimes when he was, you know, a toddler or maybe younger than that. Uh, and if he didn't want to eat, you've seen children, right? You put the spoon next to their mouth and they go like, like this and like that, and we close our mouth completely, right? So right, we've probably all seen that with grandkids or nephews or nieces or or whatever. Um, so I like that example. I like I like that imagery that that we find different ways to just avoid Krishna. You know, we're trying, <laughs> trying to give a give people God conscious, whether it's Christian consciousness or Christ consciousness or something. And so many times we're, and I, I always see the different philosophies as that kind of thing that just like, mm, 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 no, different ways to avoid actually accepting that God is there and God is a person. And so Prabhupada is saying that here, that due to our envy 
Um, he said, this is the reason why there are so many schools of philosophical speculation. So we can, Krishna gives us, the, gives people the intelligence to not understand him. Prabhupada would even say that atheists, um, who, where do they get the intelligence to, under, to, to consider atheism as a viable philosophy? It comes from Krishna. Now, you, if you say that to an atheist, they get really upset with you. <laughs> right? right? <laughs> they, would, they would think that that's like, you know, word jugglery 101 or, you know, 401 or something like that. <laughs> but here we're hearing that, you know, we have this, uh, we've been in the material world a long, long time. We have this envy of Krishna. And we can, uh, we can, you know, just get absorbed in sense gratification and ignore him in that way. Or we can get absorbed in all kinds of philosophical speculations and ignore him in that way. And then he says the devotee, it's almost like that verse, Bukti Mukti Siddhi Kami Sakala Ashanta, Krishna Bhakti Nishkam Atta Eva Shanta, that, uh, that others besides devotees are not peaceful, but a devotee is peaceful because they know Krishna, they know the goal, and they're trying to traverse that, that, that path towards Krishna. So very, very interesting purport and, and, and an interesting point about all the different philosophies of the world. Some thoughts on this? Some philosophical thoughts on this? Oh, hi, Krishna Prabhu. Please accept my humble witness again. Uh, when I read the lines, uh, the way I understood is acting from within the core of the hearts of all philosophers. Uh, there was no precursor, but like Prabhupada's purport was saying, because of the envy, uh, God acts like this. So, um, you know, b- basically the way uh, that, that's something uh, that, that, that confuses me a little bit there. Uh, and uh, uh, it's something the free will uh, and then uh, uh, Lord satisfies yes, the way that exactly. he wants to uh, do what they want. Uh, and, uh, you know, we, we are blessed because Prabhupada is giving us a wonderful scriptures. This scripture, this verse itself says, who's the real God? And then, you know, if you are going in a philosophical way, it's your own thing, you know, um, uh, gives a clarity here. But like the envy part was the one that was confuses me. The, you know, basically the philosopher sees the Lord some in some way and then Lord is satisfying them in that way. And how come the envy comes in there? How come it comes in there? Um, I'm just uh, trying to find... I should have asked Suganda to do this. Oh, because I don't have the exact wording. But anyone... From, is it in the Isha Upanishad that talks about um, the self-fulfilled philosopher who's been satisfying the desires of everyone since time immemorial? You know that verse? So what, where did you're saying you're asking where does the envy come in? Yes, basically, yes, yes, Prabhu. Mm. Oh, you so uh, where does it come in? Well, it comes from our free will and our choosing to uh, our existential. What is that? Krishna Bhuli Sejiv Anadhir Bahirmuk that we have consciously turned our back on Krishna. And therefore ended up in this material world. Mm. So 
when we, so in our hearts, we have that, that darkness, we could say. And therefore, Krishna, who's the super soul, we, a lot of this, these verses are about the super soul, right? Uh, I should have mentioned that in the beginning. Uh, and therefore, he's in, the, he's in our heart, and he's fulfilling that desire to forget him, basically, to put it in a nutshell. He causes them to forget their own souls while sometimes agreeing and sometimes disagreeing amongst themselves. Thus, he creates within this material world a situation in which they are unable to come to a conclusion. I offer my obeisances. Yeah, so Krishna um, neutrally is fulfilling our desires. Okay, that's what you want. Okay. Is that all right? Thank you, Prabhu. Still, like, you know, they are in a in a realm of trying to understand him. Philosophers also trying to understand him, right? That's their intention, right? Um, so uh, why he bewilders them is well, what, like, when I was reading this, this was the things going on in mind. <laughs> so I don't, I'm not sure, you know, I, they, some people are trying to understand him. But is everyone, or, is, or a lot of times are we coming up with a philosophy clearly to not understand him? <laughs> Right. Um, it's just like if if we have a certain thing we're trying to prove, and then we go to the shastra to try to find something in the shastra that will agree with our point of view. We're not really going to the shastra to understand the shastra. We go. We have our we have our our preconceived idea, and then we're just trying to, you know. So we're not necessarily always. Not all philosophers are really. Uh, fully trying to understand the truth. Now, some of them are, and there's been, of course, many theistic philosophers in the world, many, 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 um, especially in history, right? You know, um, so it's really, uh, Krishna says that he, as we desire, Krishna fulfills that. And here it is. Such a person must actually know the greatest of all, the supreme, the personality of Godhead, who is unembodied, omniscient, beyond reproach, without veins, pure and uncontaminated. The se- I always like this part. The self-sufficient philosopher who has been fulfilling everyone's desire since time immemorial. So selfish, he doesn't have to lean on anyone else to be a philosopher. He, you know, and, and philosophers, you know, where does the brain come? And Prabhupada would often say it, not often, but he has said that who gives an atheist intelligence to be an atheist? Krishna. So that's the best I can do, Sakshi Gopal Prabhu. Well, thank you, Prabhu. Thank you. Hare All right. Okay. Anything else on this verses? On this verse? Okay. Then let us. Go up to 32, which talks about, which kind of continues this theme. It talks about how bhakti is above sankhya and yoga. So 32. There are two parties, namely the theists and the atheists. The theist who accepts the super soul, remember I said it was, this is about super soul, finds the spiritual cause through mystic yoga. The, the sankhyaite, however, who merely analyzes the material elements comes to a conclusion of impersonalism and does not accept a supreme cause, whether Bhagavan, Paramatma, or even Brahman. Instead, he is preoccupied with the superfluous external activities of material nature. 
Ultimately, however, both parties demonstrate the absolute truth because although they offer opposing statements, their object is the same ultimate cause. They are both approaching the same Supreme Brahman to whom I offer my respectful obeisances. So in the purport, Prabhupada clarifies a lot here. He says, actually, there are two sides to this argument. Some say the absolute truth has no form, nirakar, and others say the absolute has a form, sakara. Therefore, the word form, isn't this very interesting, this argument? Therefore, the word form is the common factor, although some accept it, asti or astika, whereas others try to negate it, nasti or nastika. Since the devotee considers the form, the word form, akara, the common factor for both, he offers his respectful obeisances to the form, although others may go on arguing about whether the absolute truth has a form or not. So the devotees, see, that, that's an important sentence. That since the devotees consider the word form, akara, the common factor of both, he offers his respectful obeisances to the form, although others may go on arguing about whether the absolute... Oh, you guys go on. That's kind of like, uh, almost like a devotee thing. Okay, you know, yeah, you guys go on and fight. And I'm only interested what is in Krishna's lunchbox. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, later on, Prabhupada writes, therefore the word vastu nishtayo, which is used herein, indicates that both the yogis and, sun- and sankhites have faith in the reality but are arguing about it from the different points of view of material and spiritual identities. Parabrahma, or Brihat, is the common point. The Sankhites and yogis are both situated in the same Brahman, but they differ because of different angles of vision. And then Prabhupada writes, the directions given by the Bhakti Shastra point one to the perfect direction because the Supreme Personality of Godhead says in Bhagavad Gita, Bhaktyamam Abhijananti. Only by devotional service can I be known. The bhaktas know the Supreme Person has no material form, whereas the Gandhis simply deny the material form. So there's a lot here in this verse. But um, I naturally, you know, I picked up on this point that I really just found fascinating and deep, that, uh, that they differ because of different angles of vision. Uh, yeah, and then from different viewpoints. So we may also have disagreements with others because we are looking at things from a different angle of vision. You know, we have um, we have different reasons that cause us to see the world differently than another person. We have, we can say from the Shastra point of view, we have our Purva Samskars, our impressions in our mind from previous lives. We have our experiences in this life. We have our different upbringings by our parents. We have our different socioeconomic backgrounds. Um, there's, there's, uh, we have the different countries that we grew up in sometimes. And these all shape our, at least, you know, our, our vision of this world and the way things are in this world. And someone else has different experiences and they see it differently. And sometimes that's one of the reasons there's big clashes in this world. We're looking at the same thing from different points of view sometimes. Just like a, in a, if a police interviews people who witnessed a car accident, sometimes they'll interview three people and get three different 
uh, explanations of what happened. Sometimes that will happen because people are looking at, they saw the accident from different points of view. They might've been in a different mind space. They looked at it from a different angle. They were more based on their hearing than their sight. So many different things. They don't like red Maseratis. And so they photos the red Maseratis fault or whatever it is. There's different impressions. And kind of indicated here is that the devotee tries to float above those and focus on bhakti. Um, yeah, he said, you know, the yogis and the sankhites are going to keep on disagreeing with each other. But the devotee knows uh, the directions given by the bhakti shastris point one in the perfect direction. Only by devotional service am I to be known. The bhaktas know the supreme person. There's that word know instead of understand, uh, <laughs> Andy. Uh, they know the Supreme Person has no material form, whereas the Gani simply deny the material form. Some thoughts on this first? Nope. Okay. So then we will read the next two verses, which are the second to last and the last of the Hunksabuya prayers. The Supreme Personality of God, who is inconceivably opulent, who is devoid of all material names, forms, and pastimes, and who is all-pervading, is especially merciful to the devotees who worship his lotus feet. Thus he exhibits transcendental forms and names with his different pastimes. May the Supreme Personality of God, whose form is eternal and full of knowledge and bliss, be merciful to me. And then text 34. As the air carries various characteristics of the physical elements, like the aroma of a flower or colors resulting from a mixture of dust in the air, the Lord appears through lower systems of worship according to one's desires, although he appears as the demigods and not in his original form. What is the use of these other forms? May the original Supreme Personality of God please fulfill my desires. And towards the end of the purport, Prophet writes that unintelligent persons want to imagine or concoct the form of the Supreme Personality of God, but devotees want to worship the actual personality of God. Therefore, Daksha prays, one may think of you as personal, impersonal, or imaginary, but I wish to pray to your Lordship that you fulfill my desires to see you as you actually are. Beautiful, beautiful prayer. Mm. And Prabhupada ends his purport with Srila Madhvacharya's uh, explanation that, that there were, there's three different types of worshippers, the lower, the middle, and the upper. And the lowest are the impersonalists, the middle, except the Lord as a controller, but they can't ascertain his form, and the highest um, are the devotees. So what I'd like to do is just um, briefly, but listen carefully, over, uh, just give you a little summary of these 12 verses. So um, in 23 and 24, it says, conditioned souls are unable to know or measure the Supreme Personality of Godhead because their ability to perceive him is covered and limited. That's in text 25. The Lord can be seen by those whose consciousness is free from matter, text 26. His form as the super soul can be perceived and realized by those practicing devotional service free from material attachment. To others, he remains concealed and unknowable. That was 
those verses 27 and 28. Okay, so then as the non-material creator who exists before and after creation, he's transcendental to matter. No one can see or understand him through matter. That's text 29. The Supreme Lord is a person, yet he is the original cause of all material and spiritual existence. He has no cause and is therefore known as the Supreme Brahman. That's text 30. It is the Lord in the hearts of the philosophers who cause their constant disagreements about the ultimate cause of existence, the absolute truth. That's text 31. And then personalist devotees and impersonalist philosophers may argue over the existence or non-existence of the Supreme Lord and his form, but the focus of both is the ultimate cause of existence, the absolute truth. That's text 32. And the unlimited Lord is especially merciful to his devotees, text 33, and he appears to his worshipers according to how they worship him and what they desire. And that was the last verse, text 34. So these prayers that we've studied today, um, they, they establish, you know, the absolute truth as unlimitedly, as an unlimitedly powerful transcendental person uh, and inconceivable to the mind and senses. So when Daksha is offering these prayers, he's, he's adding to this point that's coming throughout this, you know, the, the Bhagavatam and that will, help Maharaj Parikshit and all of us come to the Bhagavatam's conclusion. So Daksha's prayers, you know, praise Krishna as having names, forms, activities that are not material in any way or another. In this way, we're, we're all being set up, including Maharaj Parikshit himself, to ultimately understand Krishna, the Supreme Lord, and his pastimes in Vrindavan, which will be the content of... Uh, the tenth canto. Okay, so we finished Dutch's prayer today. That's pretty uh, incredible. And we just have a few verses left in this chapter, and then we will carry on to um, the the next chapter, <clears throat> which is a uh, another change of pace. Narada Muni's curse. Well, it still involves uh, Daksha, cursed by Prajapati Daksha. So we have a couple minutes if there's any questions or comments. Um, and mom, oh, let's see, so then to put like wearing different colored glasses and seeing the world through that. Yes, yes. Uh, and then mom has put, my dear Arjuna, only by undevoted, undivided devotional service can I be understood as I am standing before you and can thus be seen directly. Only in this way can you enter into the mysteries of my understanding. Beautiful, beautiful verse. Okay, well, if there's nothing else, we will end on time, which is one of the trademarks of this class. We don't like that we value all of your time, and I know it's, it is valuable, so I don't want to uh, uh, take up more than is my due. So we will see you, uh, same time, same place. We'll see you exactly, uh, 22 and a half, uh, six days and 22 and a half hours from now. And, uh, have a wonderful Krishna conscious week, the last week of Purushottam Amas. I believe it ends on Friday and Tuesday is a codicy, I believe. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, and I think many of you have, maybe not Jay, 
that many of you have uh, tomorrow off from work. Some of you, at least. It's a federal holiday. So um, I hope you chant 108 rounds that day. And uh, Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Thank you, Thank you Prabhu. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna.